And let the church say amen. amen. I don't know how you cannot say amen after hearing that song. Well, God bless you all. It is a privilege to be here this morning. I'm going to get plugged in here, fully realizing that last week some of you were looking at my notifications as they were sprawled out across the uh, screen there. I do apologize for that. Hopefully the uh, Subway Surfer update didn't throw you off. <laughs> mm. I hope everybody had a good 4th of July weekend, or it was in the middle of the week. We certainly did. Um, my middle son, I was going to say my youngest son, I can't say youngest anymore because I have three. So my middle son, Liam, actually did not want to come out on 4th of July. So Caleb and I went over to a friend's house to watch some fireworks. And I said, Liam, you, you want to come with us? And he was, nope. I said, well, why not? It's too loud. He doesn't like the loud noises. I said, all right, I, I get it. So my wife, you know, takes uh, Micah, our youngest, outside because, you know, in our neighborhood, everybody's shooting something off. Hopefully no, nobody was shooting any guns off or anything like that. But fireworks were popping off. And so we go outside and we wanted to kind of have Micah see this. And it's funny because as soon as we get out there, somebody decides to light up those pop, 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 those loud ones. And Micah starts like freaking out. It's like, all right, let's, let's bring him back inside, man. Let's, let's, let's take him inside the house. But we had a great time. Um, and it was just a good time. And we, we thank God for independence. We thank God for the freedom that we, that we have, not only in this country, but the freedom that we have in Christ. And so we are thankful for that as well. I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I am up and running here. And indeed I am. Okay. I'm going to trust it that it'll, that it'll show up. What I want to uh, do right now is have you all pray with me. Can we pray together? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, it is in Christ alone that we stand. We have no righteousness of our own. We have no meritorious deeds of our own, God. It is by your Son that we are righteous. And so, God, as we look to him this morning, God, be with us, Lord. I pray that you would incline our hearts your testimonies, oh God, that you would allow us from your word to see wondrous things from your law. Be with us this morning, Lord God, as we learn and grow together and find out how to run this race that you've set before us. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So last week, we were talking about how are you running? That was the title of the sermon, and it ended up being a part two series, which is fine. But part one is, how are you running? And by running, we mean, how are you living the Christian life? How are you living the Christian life? Is there evidence in your life that you indeed are a believer, that you are a Christian? And if so, can that evidence be seen in how you live out your faith on a day-to-day basis? And the question was asked, how are you running? And I just want to do one thing. I want to make some clarifications. I want to make sure we understand that what I'm talking about and what Scripture is revealing is not that we run to earn our salvation. We're not running to earn our faith. We're not running to gain something from God. We are running because We've gained 
something from God. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. This not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So that's what we want to keep in mind here. And we also want to make sure that we understand that if you truly are saved, if you have come to a saving knowledge in Christ, you cannot lose this salvation. It's secure. You had nothing to do with gaining it. You were chosen, as Ephesians 1.4 tells us, from before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in Christ. So we are thankful for this gift. And there are times where there are lulls in our life, where we're not running as fervently as we ought. And those are the times that we really need to, as 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us, we need to test ourselves, examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And so I just wanted to make sure we understand that, that when I say running this race, it is not we're running to gain something. We're not running to earn our salvation. We are running because we're saved. And so the second thing I want to do is just quickly uh, read our text again and then just go over some brief moments of what we talked about last week as we move into the emphasis of this week's sermon. If I could give this week's sermon a title, it certainly would be, How Are You Running? But the secondary title would be, Who Are You Looking At? But we'll get there. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God. And so last week we said in order to run this race, the, the idea here is that we're running with purpose. My proposition last week was simply this, because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we should live the Christian life with purpose, with purpose. And there are three areas where we need to be purposeful in our running this race, in our living out this faith. And the first one was mortification of sin. Because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we need to be purposeful in our mortification of sin, putting it to death, laying it aside, getting rid of it, getting rid of it. Scripture nowhere says maintain sin, right? Control sin. The emphasis is always to kill it, to get rid of it. And the text here, the, the, the therefore says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, let us also. The whole point of Hebrews 11 was to show that there were saints of old, the saints of the Old Testament who testified and bore witness to their faith of entrusting God in how they lived their life. They showed and demonstrated that they had faith in God by how they lived their life. As somebody told me, 
if you profess to be a barber and you don't cut hair, then you're not a barber. You know, I mean, if you profess to be a, a bus driver and you don't drive buses, can you really call yourself that? And so likewise, if you profess to be a Christian, there should be a living it out. And, 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 and in Hebrews 11, we see that. We see that these saints of old lived out their faith. Noah built an ark. Abraham left the country to go where God was leading him. He did that by faith. This is vitally important. So when we come to 12 of Hebrews, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and the, the witnesses here, the imagery is that of a stadium where you have people who are in the stadium, and it's not just anybody, it's people who have already run the race you're getting ready to run. And, and, and again, this is the imagery. Now, nowhere else in Scripture does it say that we have saints cheering us on, but this is the wordplay here, that, that imagery. What it's really saying is these people in Hebrews 11 testified to their faith. They, they bore witness to, they gave evidence of their faith. And here he's saying, therefore, in light of that, lay aside every weight. So we have to be purposeful in our, in our mortification of sin. And as we talked about in our BFG this morning, sometimes it's, it's difficult to distinguish between the weight and the sin. Because the very next word is, and the sin which clings so closely. I mean, you have good things that can become weights in our lives. Certainly there are things that we, we would say, okay, that's definitely a weight. I see it. I know it. Got to lay it aside. But there are things that don't readily, we see it as a weight. We don't readily see it that way. And so we have to be aware of that. Good things can also be weights. And again, remember, a weight is anything that hinders us. And by the way, it's, it's fine. The, the presentation is fine. We'll, we'll go just right from, right from here, right from the, what we're saying. So don't worry about that. You know, technology, not a problem. We're going to endure. We're going we're gonna to press forward. You know, I'm going to take a drink of water while we do that. <laughs> But good things can become weights, and you don't see it initially. Your job is a good thing. Friendships are good things. These are good things. But when those things begin to encroach upon, begin to hinder you, begin to hold you back from running effectively, we have to lay it aside. Sin. Anything that is not glorifying to God, anything that breaks God's law, you got to lay it aside. And and so even though it's sometimes difficult, that line between weight and sin is blurry, here's the, here's the exhortation. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. If it's holding you back from being effective for Christ and his kingdom, lay it aside. So we said we had to be purposeful in our mortification of sin. We also said that we have to be purposeful in our manner of running. Mortification of sin, laying it aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely. But we also have to be purposeful in how we run. The verse here says, let us run with endurance, not giving up, steadfastness, running steadfastly. There are obstacles in this world that will certainly become a part of our lives. There are things that are difficult in this world that will cause us to want to stop running. Particularly when, and especially when you see people who are seemingly getting ahead and they're not 
having any problems, any difficulties. But here, the writer of Hebrews says, we have to run with endurance. We have to persevere. We have to press on, keep going, not give up, not quit, not fall away. Which is really, when you read Hebrews, you see it time and time again. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Scripture says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away from it. Again, in 4.1 of Hebrews, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's this constant idea of not failing to reach this goal, this destination. We have to run with endurance. Galatians 6.9, the passage that I ended with last week says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we faint not, if we do not give up. And what's interesting is Jesus never sugarcoated this life. He never sugarcoated it. Oh, this is going to be a breeze. And this is the problem with a lot of the prosperity gospel that you hear out there. You know, supernatural increase is coming your way. This is going to be great. You're in Christ, all your problems are gone. Everything is going to be just peachy keen. That's, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said, in this world, you would have problems. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He also said, and you will be hated. <laughs> wow. You will be hated, right, by all for my name's sake. Now, it's one thing when you're hated for how you're acting. But if you are in Christ, if you are living for Christ, if you are speaking for Christ and people despise you for it, it's for his name's sake. It's one thing to do that and be hated because of something you're doing that is not a part of advancing God's kingdom. But Jesus said, if you're, if you're on my team, if you're in me and you speak in this world and you try to live for me, you will be hated. But what does he say? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The other thing I want to make sure I clear up is this idea that if you are truly in Christ, you will persevere to the end. You will make it to the end. But I think a lot of times people think that just coming to Christ with this profession is it. That's where we start and that's where we finish. I've accepted him. I'm done. That's it. I don't have to live this out. Our continuing faith is the means God uses for his persevering work in our lives. As we continue in faith, God works in our lives to persevere our belief so that we make it to the end. Jesus is a clear example of that. When reviled, he didn't revile, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We have to endure. First John says, they went out from us. Why? Because they weren't of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained. But they went out that their deeds may be made known. People who truly are in Christ will continue. And we have to, we have to keep that in mind, that balance in mind. We have to run with endurance, not giving up. 
So that's the first way we run. In, in our manner of running, how do we run? With endurance. Secondly, secondly, we are to run the race set before us. Christians are to run the race set before them. As he says here, run with endurance the race that is set before us. We cannot, church, we cannot run another person's race. You can't run your neighbor's race or your co-worker's race. There is a specific uh, job, there is a specific role, there is a specific function that God has laid out for you to do. You have to run that course. You have to run that race. You can't choose the race that you would like to run. We must run the race that is set before us. We must be purposeful in seeking to accomplish what God has set out for us to do. What is it that God has set out for us to do? We are to advance his kingdom. And some people do that through way of being pastors. Some do that through way of being teachers. And, uh, you know, whatever uh, profession, whatever vocation you're in, your chief goal, if you are in Christ, is to advance God's kingdom, is to spread the gospel, is to tell others about Jesus. That's the goal. That's the race that is set out for you. And you are to do that not only with your words, but in your manner of living. And personal holiness. It's one thing to say, man, you need to trust Christ uh, and, and believe in him. And then go off and do nothing that matches with what you've just told people to do. So they look at your lifestyle and say, what? Trust, trust Christ? Are you kidding? Look, look at this guy. You know, and, and again, I don't believe in moral perfectionism. None of us in here are perfect. As somebody once told me, there's two ways to get to heaven. You, you either have to be perfect or know someone who is. Uh, none of us are perfect, but praise God. Hopefully you know somebody who is, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's who we put our faith in. But it, it's important that we, our lifestyle matches our manner of living, our manner of running. We have to run the race that is set before us. You cannot run somebody else's race. And somebody always wishes they were doing what somebody else is doing. And that if their circumstances were different, they could be more effective. Man, if only I, if only I were this. If only I, you know, if I were a nurse, then I could do this. If only I were a lawyer, then I could, I could do it this way. But we have to understand that Jesus is the Lord of our circumstances. And as one theologian put it, only as we learn to rise above our circumstances and walk with God in them are we running the race that is set before us. We have to rise above what, what is going on. There's a lot of things that's going to keep us from staying on our course, keeping our path. We have to rise above that and walk with God in our circumstances. Wherever God has called you to be this morning, whatever uh, vocation or role or function you're in, you, you are there not by accident, not by serendipity. You are there for a specific purpose, and you have to run that race that is set before you. We have to walk with God in our circumstances. So, because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we have to be purposeful in mortifying sin. Because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we have to be purposeful in our manner of running. So my third point this morning because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we must be purposeful in modeling Christ's example. We must be purposeful in modeling 
Christ's example. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Christians must look to Jesus. You know, it's hard to model somebody you're not looking at. It's very difficult to copy somebody that you're not looking at. And I remember when I was in um, college at, at, uh, at Berkeley, and we would have these jazz labs, you know, and they would always say, listen, jazz is a vocabulary. If you want to learn it, you have to listen to the people who played it and, and to understand it better. And so they would always encourage us to, to listen to the greats and, and emulate and sort of copy their style. So you go to the practice room and you'd see guys just trying to copy Charlie Parker or, or John Coltrane or Dexter Gordon, whoever. They were trying to, why? They wanted to sound like that guy. They wanted that style. They wanted that vocabulary. They wanted that language. They wanted to have those abilities. They wanted to emulate, image those people. It's hard to do that if you're not listening to jazz, if you're not listening to that music and, and, and really purposely trying to copy what they're doing. But here, it's hard to model somebody that you're not looking at. We have a model. We have somebody that we need to look at. We need to look at Jesus. Jesus is the model. Jesus is the person that we need to focus on. And that word, look, in, in the Bible here, in our verse, has very important implications for us. It literally means to look to undistractedly. It's not just look. It's to look to undistractedly, to look to something without having one's attention diverted. It actually carries the image of purposefully looking away from something so as to focus more intently on the primary subject. It actually is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purposely look away from this so that I can look at this. My, my, my attention is no longer here, it's, it's now here. That, that's the way we are to look. I love how it says it in the NIV. It says fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Who are you looking at this morning? Who are you looking at? I can tell you this, who you are looking at will determine how you are running. Who you are looking at will determine how you are running. If you are focused on anyone or anything other than Christ as you run this race of faith, I can tell you one of two things will happen. One of two things will happen. The first thing is this. You will either get distracted or become exhausted as you run. You will either get distracted or become exhausted. If you are not looking at Jesus... If you're not fixing your eyes on him, one of those two things can happen. Distracted because something else will have caught your attention, will have caught your eye. Something from this world that seems more alluring and more promising will have gained your attention. It's the idea that you're running and all of a sudden, oh, oh hold on, okay, all right. And, and, and you're no longer focused anymore. That's what, when, when the writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, that's what we need to, he means undistractedly. And don't we know that there are a lot of distractions in this world, so many distractions in this world that can captivate our attention, that can draw us away as we try to run this race of faith with endurance if we're not looking at Jesus. 
So many things that can draw us away. The promise of fame, popularity, riches, wealth, a good standing in my community, or whatever the case may be. So many things that, that, that we can look at and focus on, and as we do that, they divert our attention from looking at Jesus. And we think that these other things will help us to run this race uh, better. They won't. They're distractions. And we have to be very careful about what we're looking at. The psalmist wrote, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, Psalm 73, 25. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Church, is Christ your desire today? Are you looking to him as having far more value than anything this world could offer this morning? Are we looking to him that way? I can tell you in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, verse 44, verse 45, the Bible says this, Jesus speaking. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. One pearl of great value. Or the kingdom of heaven in verse 44 is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why? Because what's in that field is far more valuable than anything this earth can give you. That pearl is far more valuable than anything you think you can amass on this earth. Your relationship with Jesus Christ gives you eternal benefits that nothing else on this earth can provide you. Are you looking at him this morning? Are you looking at him? The second thing that can happen if you're not looking at him is that you will become exhausted. You ever been exhausted? Ever been tired? Yeah. Especially when you use racing or running analogies. One comedian said, I, I, don't, I don't run anywhere. I, I don't like running. You run and you get tired. If you're not looking at Jesus, you will get exhausted. If you try to run this race of faith in your own strength, in your own efforts, you will quickly become tired and weary in your efforts. If you're trying to run this race of faith this morning in your own abilities, in your own efforts, you'll get tired. If you're trying to run this race with moralistic deism and just, man, if I do, 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 if I do more good things and, and you know, th th then I'll be able to, you're going to get exhausted. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest. Who are you looking to this morning? What is it that's giving you? Is the 401k giving you rest right now? Is the pension plan giving you that? Boy, I tell you, man, just two more years, and then it'll 
10 more years and then, or whatever the case may be. Is that what's giving you rest this morning? Man, I got a piece of property over here that whenever, I'm just going to sail on out. And just, is, is that what's comforting you this morning? And then the market does a whoop, and then your 401k is whoop, and, and all kinds of stuff is, now what's your, now what are you resting in? Now what are you hoping in? Is Jesus your desire this morning? Is he your rest this morning? Are you resting in him? So ironic that as we run, we rest in Christ. <laughs> if we do it any other way, we're going to get tired. We're going to get exhausted. Harold Attridge and Helmut Hoister, they say this. They point out, quote, it is precisely as the one who perfectly embodies faith that he serves as the ground of its possibility in others and the model they are to follow. Jesus is the ground of our faith. He is the basis of our faith. He is the source of our faith. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? So that we don't get distracted by this world or exhausted by our own efforts. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And what a better person to fix our eyes on than him. So as we understand that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, because of that, we must be purposeful in modeling Christ's example. And so we model his example. But secondly, Christians must endure suffering. And this is the part that not, not everybody likes to hear. And believe me, we will need to look to Jesus. We will, we will need to look to Jesus if we are to endure the suffering that will come as a result of being his follower. Because believe me, as I've already read to you, in this world, you will have tribulation. That will come, whether it be in a nasty co-worker saying something about you because, you know, you're a Christian. Whatever the case may be, maybe in the classroom, Somebody saying something about you uh, because you're mocking you, making fun of you. But you know, as the writer of Hebrews says in verse 4, none of you have struggled in sin yet and have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I mean, you think about the martyrs that suffered, where they could smell their own flesh burning as they burnt from the stake because of their profession of faith in Christ. Sawn in two, sewn in animal skin. We haven't suffered to that point. Or even the Christians now that are in other parts of the world who are suffering right now. Experiencing intense persecution because of their faith in Christ. But if we are Christians, if we are running this race, we must endure, hupomene, endure suffering. Notice that the writer of Hebrews, I want, in verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus. It, it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews uses our Lord's earthly name, looking to Jesus. Harold Attridge again points out in this verse, the object of inspiring vision is not the transcendent God, but the very human Jesus. Why is that important? It's important because Jesus was a human being just like we are. Jesus had a human nature. He bled. 
He suffered. He got tired. Now, I want to make sure I affirm that Jesus is God. He is truly God. He is truly man. But we don't want to, we got to hold these two in balance. We don't want to create or, or, or be guilty of the heresy of Apollinarianism, where we say Christ was perfect God, but he lacked a complete humanity. No, he was a human being. I think we forget that sometimes. Jesus wept. Jesus went through it. He suffered. Jesus ran the race that he's calling us to run this morning. He ran it already. Jesus was a human being. And in his humanity, he experienced the same things that we do. What does Hebrews 4.15 tell us? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's not like Jesus doesn't understand what we go through when we suffer. It's not like, man, I, I, I don't know, what is that? It's not like Jesus is saying, boy, I, I don't have a clue. No, he went through it. He was born of a virgin, born under the law, in history. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fantasy. It really happened. But one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says, For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We have a help this morning. We are called as Christians to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow Christ. We must endure suffering just like Jesus did, knowing that he is able to provide divine help in times of need. Jesus is the leader of those who run the race of faith. That's exactly what the word founder means. When the Bible says Jesus is the founder of our faith, right? That, that, that's what it's saying. He's the leader, the forerunner, the pioneer, the originator. Jesus ran this race. So as we run, that's why it's so important to look to him. Jesus is our leader. He is the person to obtain, he's the first person to obtain faith's ultimate goal, which is the inheritance of the divine promise, which the Old Testament saints, they saw it from afar off, right? They didn't see it. They were looking forward to it. We, on this side of it, we look back at Calvary. They were looking towards it, but that's it. Jesus accomplished it. He was the first one to do that. Jesus is also the object and source of our faith. Jesus is the object and source of our faith. If we're trying to run this Christian race, we, we, we can't do it effectively without him. Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, I want to read it for you. John chapter 15 and verse 5. It's one of those verses I've committed to memory, but I want you to, 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 to gain the full weight of it. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From And here it is. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Now, that's not saying, well, yeah, I woke up this morning. Well, you woke up. He upholds all things by the power of his word. That's because of him that you woke up this morning. Yeah, well, I, I dress myself. I mean, there's certain things like I don't need it. You know, there's certain things I can do. 
The thrust of this verse is saying you cannot do anything of spiritual significance. You cannot endure without Christ. You cannot bear fruit without Christ. You cannot endure suffering without Christ if you're not looking to him. But we must endure suffering. Jesus did. He is the object and the source of our faith. Raymond Brown notes this. He says, quote, when we feel that we cannot summon another ounce of energy for the race that is set before us, we must think of the race that was set before him. We must think of the race that was set before him. He endured, though his course was incomparably more difficult than ours. Jesus triumphed, and in his strength, so can we. In his strength, so can we. When we look at the cross, we just sang it about the cross. The world will look at the cross and see tragedy. We don't look at the cross and see tragedy. We look at the cross and see triumph. Jesus overcame death. The race that, that, that the Father set out for him was to the cross. And what we find in that race is that it was actually the road to exaltation. What does it say in, in Hebrews 12? He is now seated where? At the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured suffering. He went through agonizing difficulty. I mean, leaving the glory of heaven to step into his creation and to redeem it. Jesus did that for you. Who are you looking at this morning? If you're looking at anything else, when you go through suffering, it will crumble you. You will want to walk away. The loss of a child, a loved one who is ill, persecution at the job, whatever it is, if you're, if you're not looking at Jesus and seeing that he went through things immeasurably, infinitely more difficult than we can, and he endured. It's the same word that we are called when it says endure. He endured. When we're called to endure, it's the same word that, that is used of Jesus. He endured. If we look to him, we know that we can triumph in our difficulty through his strength. But finally, because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, Christians must have an eternal motivation. Christians must have an eternal motivation. Look again at verse 2. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was what? Set before him. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy of heavenly glory that was to be experienced, because of the joy of being the Savior of those that the Father had given him. He, he endured the cross because of that. He had an eternal motivation, looking forward, looking to the cross. We too must have this eternal gaze when we go through difficulty and trials. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17, writes, For this light 
momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When, when, we, when we think about this Christian life, if, and this is why it's so important to look, have that, this eternal motivation, you cannot endure, go through, and make it if you're looking at things other than Christ. If you're looking at, if, you're not, if your mind is not set on things above, if you don't have that eternal gaze, things in this world will trip you up, pull you back, make you distracted, make you exhausted. We have to be looking at what is ahead for the hope that was set before him. He endured the cross. That's what will enable us to get through difficulty. Paul says this light, momentary affliction, when you're going through tough stuff, it doesn't seem light. It doesn't seem momentary. Seems like it's forever. God, how long, oh God, as the psalmist cries. But if you understand that it's preparing you for something far greater than anything this world has to offer, you will be able to endure. You will be able to press on. We have to have that eternal gaze. So modeling Jesus' example means this. First of all, looking to him as supremely better than anything in this world. Jesus is supremely better than anything this world has to offer. I mean, the devil only has three arrows in his quiver, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And one of those three things will cause you to trip up. That's what you're looking at. That's what you're focused on. Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. We have to continually keep our eyes fixed on him, which means we have to continually remain in his word. Where do we encounter this information? Not, not even, I mean, it is information. But where do we encounter Christ? In his word. This is where we, we, we find out these promises. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, these great promises that we have that will enable us to endure, that we are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit, that, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, that there is something better than this world. So it means looking to him as supremely better than anything in this world. Secondly, it means enduring suffering, just like Jesus did. Knowing that we have supernatural resources available to us from our superior high priest. We got to know that this morning. And lastly, it means viewing the suffering that we endure on this earth as minuscule compared to the glory that we will share with our Savior in heaven for all eternity. Eternity lasts a lot longer than now. We will enjoy eternity with Jesus forever if we are in him. But isn't that the question this morning? For those of you that are here and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I, 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 Man, I prayerfully believe I'm trying to run this race. Praise God. The exhortation to you, keep running. Keep it up. Don't stop. Keep running. And there are those of you this morning here that are saying, you know what? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of on the side. I, I, I mean, I'm in it, but I'm not, I'm not. The challenge and exhortation to you is start running. Start running. 
there are some of you here this morning that are not even in the race. You don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. There's another race. The Bible says broad is the road that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that go by it. But narrow is the gate that leadeth unto righteousness. And few there be that find it. What road are you on this morning? This is a question of eternal significance. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? Is it in that glorious state that I mentioned where we're with Christ and we, we, we enjoy him forever? Or is it in hell? That's a question of deep consideration. Don't leave this place not knowing the answer to that question. As one preacher said, Tomorrow is the devil's day. Tomorrow I'll do it. Tomorrow I'll run. Tomorrow I'll get in the race. Tomorrow I'll lace it up. This is a now gospel. What will you do with Christ this morning? What's the application? We need to be, we need to live deliberately. If we are in this race, if we are saved, we need to live intentionally, purposefully, just as Jesus did. From when he was a young boy, know you not that zeal for my father's house will consume him. He was focused on his mission from a young age all the way through. Learned obedience, as scripture tells us. He was intentional. Nothing thwarted him. And the devil tried. I'll jump off this thing, turn this plug into stone, turn these stones into bread, I'll bow down and worship me. I'm trying to get him off his race. He stayed the course, stayed right on his race and accomplished to the glory of God, accomplished what the Father set out for him to accomplish for us. So we have to live, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, live deliberately. Don't live your Christian life accidentally. Live it on purpose. Make it count. But secondly, what's the application? We need to live our Christian lives Christocentrically, which simply means, reverse the words, Christ at the center. He's the center. He's the focus. That, 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 that's what it's all about. The book is about him. The Father sent the Son. The Holy Spirit helps us to grow to become more like the Son. He's our Lord and Savior. He is the focal point. The Father said it pleased him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Not to what the world is telling you. Listen to him. We need to live Christocentrically with Jesus Christ at the center of our lives. Not off on the periphery. Let's not marginalize Jesus this morning. Let's put him right where he belongs, right in the center as Lord of our lives so that we can run this race effectively. I'll end with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, 
be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor this morning is not in vain. Let's be steadfast. Let's be immovable. Let's not quit. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, what love you have lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You adopted us into your family, God. You made us members of your family. It's all because of you, Heavenly Father. You sent your son to die for us. Lord Jesus, you died on the cross and accomplished our salvation. And Holy Spirit, you apply what the Son has accomplished, what the Father has planned. Holy Spirit, you apply that in our lives so that we grow to become more like your Son. God, I pray that you would help us to not quit as we run this race. For those who are running, help them to not quit. Encourage them. For those who aren't running, help them to start, God. If they know you but aren't running, help them to start running. And for those that aren't in the race, God, may your Holy Spirit convict them even now that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Be with us, God. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.